Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Chaloner and a little later on in the show we're going to be joined by England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hat-trick hero Sir Jeff Hurst. First and foremost on today's programme though, I'm delighted to have Erhan Korhalila along. Alongside me. Erhan is the founder and CEO of EAK Digital, a PR and communications business that focuses on the emerging technology space. Erhan, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's a real pleasure having you with us as well. Um, the reason we're here, of course, is to discuss your take on leadership. But before we delve into that side of the uh, the discussion, considering that this generation of business leaders is going through probably one of the greatest challenges of our time, I think it's fair to say, in the shape of COVID-19, of course, I feel it would be remiss of me not to ask you just to what extent the pandemic has affected you and your business. Yeah, actually, it's uh, it's funny you should say that because it did actually affect us pretty badly because um, we are, um, you know, just come out of startup phase. So we're, you know, three and a half years old now and we, we do actually work distributed. So I've been working from home for years now and so have my team. We, we feel like that is the future of work anyway. And it's great to see, you know, the trends catching up with us on that um, and, you know, seeing, seeing that's getting more adopted. But we were actually putting on an event in Istanbul. I'm actually half Turkish, half British myself. Um, called the Istanbul Blockchain Week, and uh, obviously, unfortunately, that was going ahead in April, and you know, we had to cancel that. And that was our first big event. And I thought, oh, what are the chances? You know, our first huge event. You know, expecting three thousand people to come, and then you know, one one in a hundred years pandemic hit. So, of course, that was uh, very difficult for us. You know, we had, we had a lot to negotiate with you know, different hotels and parties to get our money back, and it was very very stressful. But we adapted as we only know how, which is to be as entrepreneurial and creative as possible. And we we just we, we just went virtual, literally, just one week after the initial event. We went online with a conference called Blockdown Conference, which was aimed more internationally. We 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 actually built a 3D virtual world, which allows anyone to uh, walk around just like you would in like the Sims video game, create your own character, uh, check out exhibition booths, um, you know, listen to different speakers globally. We had. You know, we had the likes of Akon, you know, the, the, the hip-hop artist join us, um, which was just fantastic. We had a great after party. And, um, you know, we, yeah, we kind of bounced back from there. We've, we've done a second lockdown. We did that in June. Um, and now we're just lining up lockdown three, a Halloween edition. So we've tried to make, you know, the best of a bad situation. And now we've like built another brand that I'd never thought we would end up doing with virtual events. And we've since helped other companies in our industry run their own virtual events from a production perspective. So it's been really quite interesting where this has taken us, but I've just tried to look at things as positive as possible and, you know, try and focus on, you know, how we can, you know, react to this and obviously make our business model sustainable moving forward. Just goes to show, doesn't it, that adaptability and flexibility, even at such a difficult and sensitive time, can really lead to opportunities. And it seems that you've really taken advantage of the lockdown period as it is so far. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think you know, as a you know, as you say, as a leader, as a, as a founder, as a CEO, you owe it to your team to find other ways of making money and getting their salaries paid at the end of each month. Especially when you've got so many families, you know, that are dependent on those salaries. So I think um, it's kind of a back to the wall job. But um, you know, I, I really enjoy actually working under pressure and, and finding that you know can be really rewarding. And and you know, moving forward, even once this pandemic's gone, I mean, I think there's always going to be a space for virtual events, and that's something that we're now very well 
you know, experienced in. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with, uh, you know, the way that it's turned out in, in the virtual event, you know, perspective. And obviously when it's safe to do so, if the more blockchain week will happen and, um, yeah, then we'll have two separate brands, you know, otherwise we would have had one. So, um, yeah, just really trying to make the best of the situation. And of course, you say that you owe it to the people that essentially make the business to find new ways of doing things and generating revenue. Of course, from a leader's point of view, you don't really have a team without having good people around you. And so safeguarding their interests during a time of crisis as a leader is incredibly important. And a big part of that is from a mental health point of view, especially amid all the uncertainty and all of the worry that's inevitably generated by something like this. How has it been for you managing that side of things then? Yeah, no, you're you're, you're definitely right there. Um, I think I think you know what we've done is we've we, we've tried to do more you know more uh, interaction, more more engagement between the team. So um, we've been doing like you know just even just small things. You know, usually we have our morning stand up on a phone call. Now we're always doing it on Zoom so we can see each other. We've been doing like virtual drinks, like literally every Friday, and, and sometimes they can run from 5 p.m. right through to the early hours, which is great to see in terms of the you know, team spirit that we have. Um, and then actually, uh, in the virtual environment that we built, we actually built like a, a, a you could call it a club for the after party. And my birthday was actually in lockdown; it was on April the 25th, and I invited. I know it sounds crazy. I invited my team members and my friends to this uh, virtual club. And like we had a DJ playing and it was just so much fun. And I think it's so important to try and stay connected right now. Cause as you say, mental health is, is deteriorating, you know, as days go by, I think just, just checking in on people as a CEO and the founder, I think, you know, obviously you probably only have maybe just the heads of your business, you know, reporting back into you, but you know, going to those people that you have maybe lower down the food chain in your company and just saying, Hey, you know, how, how are you doing? Are you okay? You know, um, How's your family doing? I think that can really leave a really nice mark on them and really poke them up and show that you care. So I think it's really important to show that human side to you as well. I think it shows a real authenticity, doesn't it? That you can get on a bit much of an e- more of an equal footing with those around you and be accessible because as a leader, you are the person that people are going to be looking to for sort of direction and reassurance ultimately at a time such as this. If we think about that in a bit more detail for a moment, Erhan, um, when you're in a leadership position, running a business and there's nobody really above you to refer to for direction for inspiration when you need a little bit for yourself where is it that you tend to look to for that yeah that's a really good question actually um uh what do i look to for leadership i think you know i think i look at other other respectful leaders that are have been there and done it um and have built a company far you know larger than mine and you know and and now i look i look to them i look i mean i, I personally come from the creative agency background so i look at the the wpp group for example uh, you know i look at um, sir martin sorrell uh, jaz ahmed head of akqa which is where i was trained I, I see how they're adapting to things and i read a lot of books i've um, been reading a lot of leadership books at the moment as well so um yeah it's quite, quite difficult actually you know i don't actually have a mentor or anything like that I, you know i've been much worse on the fly but um yeah, just just it, it, it can be difficult actually for for leaders when when everything is responsible for you. But I think yeah, all you can do is learn from those with more experience. So just trying to find those and and, and go from there really. And reflecting on the innovation that you've seen during this um, pandemic, do you think that there's anything mm. from a business leader capacity that this experience of crisis management, if you will, has actually taught you in your role? Um. How, how do you mean? So would you say perhaps that managing your way through this crisis has perhaps 
taught you anything? Have you learned anything from the experience of getting through this period? Um, I think, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, as somebody who's trained project management before I started my company, I think emotional intelligence has always been something that is of vital importance to any leader. You know, understanding how to motivate people, how to care about people who have completely different mindsets and different personalities. So, you know, the way you'd motivate a developer and speak to a developer is a completely different you'd speak to a creative person. For example, a creative person, you know, you would like to stroke their ego, make them feel like they're great, and a developer, you'd be like, okay, here's the bug, get on with it. Um, that's how they, they prefer it. And I think, you know, the way that you adapt to those people, and, you know, as you know, I come from the communications background for EAK, it's exactly how you're communicating with different journalists, depending on which publications they write for, and just really, really trying to understand who is that individual in your company and how can I best adapt my leadership um, process to, you know, adapt them and actually help them grow within the company. Because that's all what good leaders are. Good leaders are, of course, we're leading, but at the same time, we just want to put all of the uh, right, you know, ingredients in front of the in front of the individual to help them grow into the hopefully a leader themselves within your company. I think that's what we all should be striving for. So, really identifying. What those, you know, what those personality types are in the company right at the beginning. I think, especially in startup phase, it can be quite, you know, easy to just let everything go at a thousand miles an hour and forget about the person beneath that. And I think this this pandemic has really brought that home to to rise. So yeah, definitely should should focus on more efforts there. I think. And if you had to give some advice based upon your experience to the emerging generation of young leaders who are hoping to make it in business for themselves or perhaps are venturing into leadership roles in established firms, what advice would you give them? I think the advice that I would give them is, you know, always make sure that you have people, you know, that you can reach out to yourselves. Uh, don't ever feel like you are alone in, in that situation. But also, I, you know, I, I also think don't jump into the deep end too quickly. You know, I think, you know, getting experience at a firm in your in your industry and working your way up to a management level there first before becoming, you know, a CEO or a founder yourself, I think is of ultimate importance, especially during a, a pandemic when, you know, money is tight. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, working, you know, Working hard is is, is is the number one is the number one thing um, in in any startup and in, in any leadership role, uh, leading from the front and um, you know always being you know first in and, and there for people and showing a caring boss. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I think those three kind of summarise that. And now thinking about the future before we do just wrap things up on the uh, the program today, it's clear over the next twelve to eighteen months that we're going to have to adjust to a new way of living and working as we look to really shake off the shackles of COVID-19 for good. And during that period of time, as we grapple with the new normal, what is next for you and for the business? And what are you really hoping to achieve? It's funny because we've actually, as a business, we've grown since the virus has happened, which is, mm. is very you know strange probably to people that have more of a, you know, offline um, company like we have grown because I have been behind my desk for many six months now, just working, working, working. So it's my team, whereas usually we'd be traveling to events, you know, with various distractions. I'd say we've probably grown in you know, six months, we would have done in a year and a half. Um, so I think basically, um, what I would like to do, you know, in the future as well is to do more, especially as we're doing more remote work, is you know, potentially, you know, considering that everyone's safe. 
you know, do more kind of remote working, but maybe as a team, if we can get everyone together, obviously in a safe environment, maybe do a test before everyone gets there, but like maybe like find like a, a spot where we can stay two weeks in a nice area and work together and stay together as a team. I think it will really grow that kind of morale, you know, within the group. Um, but yeah, I think, um, and then obviously from the virtual event standpoint, I think virtual events are going to stay a long time after the pandemic. I think even, I think even offline events that should be integrating a hybrid model now for people that don't want to fly or people that, you know, might, um, not want to go because of the kind of, you know, CO2 emissions now that, you know, are getting highlighted more and more and need to be pushed back on. So I think, um, for, for us as a company, I think, you know, really doubling down the virtual events, you know, retraining our team to be virtual event managers, which is probably a new one. And, um, yeah, you know, just, just going from there and, and taking the rock for the smooth and, and, and hopefully coming up the other side a bigger and better business. Certainly going to be an interesting time for working practices and how that's going to change um, over the uh, the course of the uh, the next few months. And let's hope that the innovation that's been seen at your business throughout this uh, last few months can continue um, in earnest going forward from here. And that there'll be some positive news to share on the horizon as far as that's concerned as well. Um, with regard to that, Erhan, I actually think it would be wonderful just considering how delightful it's been having you join us today and how informative it has been as well to catch up in future and have you back on with us just to see how things are getting on in a few months yeah that would be my pleasure scott anytime I think it'd be fantastic. I've really, really enjoyed having you on the uh, the program with us today. And just um, another thing as well, until we do hopefully speak again in future, please do take care and stay safe still with all still going on in the world because we still don't quite know which way the pandemic is going to pan out. So let's just keep our fingers crossed that the trajectory is going to remain positive from here. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I will do you as well. Thank you so much for your time today. And I reiterate that message to all tuning in and listening today as well. Please do continue to look after yourselves and others and be sensible with the lifting of restrictions because it does make a real difference in keeping that R rate down and saving lives. Um, Next up on today's programme, I'm going to be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, but he's most renowned for the fact that he is the only player to this day to have netted a hat-trick in the final of a FIFA World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago now. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff and all of that is of course coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? (laughs) Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who who do Google me realise that I did... uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time mm. being stuck between the two sports 
And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Jeff Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. he, in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time at, maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you, you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> The straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 it, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.